Hi, welcome to the Ag Watchers podcast with Andrew and Matt. My name's Kirsten Diprose from the Rural Podcasting Co. There you go. See, you that's, how, that's how a real professional does it, Andrew. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was I was just saying to Matt before we came on the podcast just how nervous I was. <laughs> I think it feels like, you know, when you're at high school and you get the, the, the school reports and, and it might surprise people that a lot of my school reports were not necessarily good when it came to behavior. And so I'd always be worried that I was going to get in trouble from the teachers. And I feel that that could be, uh, could be one of the risks we've got today. Mm, it is a bit. I'm more nervous today than what I was when we had Murray Watt on. Huh? And oh, Bob Catter. Oh, Bob Catter, I was going to say. <laughs> Bob, <and> Bob Catter. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Well, I can't promise to be as entertaining as Bob Catter, but I'll give it a crack. Um, and I'll only judge you a couple of times throughout the podcast. Right. Oh, wow. We'll, we'll see. Right. Oh, well, we better get into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody gets uh, gets off on it, and uh, we have to do sixth sense. So we're going to throw some questions or statements at you. You give us the first thing that comes back to you. Okay. This is scary because it's live. <laughs> well, kind of live. Well, yeah, exactly. It's not mm. edited. I should say. Yes. Matt. So we're so we're all scared. We're all scared. We can start in. All right. Yeah. I'll start off with the you know what the sixth sense is. So I'll start off with uh with the sixth sense. So I just sense. say whatever comes into my head. First thing, word or short phrase. Okay. Modern journalism. Needs improvement. Podcast professionalism. <laughs> it's hard to find. <laughs> Haggis. Andrew Whitelaw. Crocs. Rocks. Crocs. Oh, Crocs. Bad shoes. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. What about, um, uh, what was that one I said last week? Oh, and you got angry at me. Uh, urban rural divide. <laughs> it's tough. I'm just drawing a blank. Um, I, I guess just real, like very real. Voices in agriculture. Not diverse. <laughs> until, until you came on this podcast. <laughs> That's right. There you go. There's a few. There's a lot of things here we can unpack, I reckon, Andrew. <clears throat> Mm, well, does she pass the test, though? That's the thing. Well, so you're, she, she she kind of snuck past because she just said your name when we said Haggist, mm. and so I'm not sure if that's if that's good or bad. And I, I have to admit, I sometimes refer to you as Haggis when I'm talking to people. So, <laughs> so there was a guy um, in my school whose nickname was Haggis. He was in my brother's year. Was he Scottish or from a Scottish? I think he had a Scottish surname. I mean, that's oh, all you need in Australia with some kind of tenuous link. That was Scottish enough. Yeah. So he could have been fourth generation Australian, but um, had a Scottish surname, so his nickname was Haggis. Before we get into the uh, complaints and compliments, yeah, complaints and compliments. Uh, so we better run through the complaints and compliments we had over the past week. I, I actually got one this week because uh, I don't normally get the feedback, but I was actually in WA earlier this week presenting, and um, and I got one from Dawson Bradford as I was sitting down. He said that that after I'd presented a whole range of things on commodities, including some stuff on wheat, uh, he said that um, my presentations were more professional than yours, Andrew, apparently. Has he, has so he, seen, me, has he seen me present? 
Probably not. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, I, I called back home to Scotland from my grandfather's 90th, and my auntie Julie picked up the phone, who's probably listened to this podcast before we even recorded it. <laughs> and uh, she said, I haven't spoken to her in a while, and she said she's very surprised by the eloquence and the knowledge of the guests we get in the podcast. So technically, it wasn't a compliment about us. She never said anything about our professionalism or our uh, knowledge, but we'll put that down as a compliment in general. So no complaints this week. Oh, there you go. So normally it's com- normally it's complaints. We'll have to we'll have to improve things a bit. I've got a list actually of um, complaints that I made. <laughs> I can just chime in because um, I've been listening and I thought I'd give you some. No. <laughs> well, well, we'll do that at the end. Because uh, <laughs> you don't want to have us with a petted lip for the rest of the uh, the time. <laughs> so, so Rado, last time we met up was the VFF conference, not this one, but last year's one I in think. Ballarat. In Ballarat, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. You were doing a PhD. How's that going? That's a hard question. Um... <laughs> I knew you'd ask me this, and I thought, gee, I should plan an answer for this. But let's just say it's taken a bit of a side turn. Um, so I'm currently not studying, but I, I basically started looking at misinformation in agriculture and did quite a bit of research and really enjoyed it. And I'm going to publish the research that I did, but I've now changed topics um, to align more with my sort of career and where I'm going now, which is podcasting and rural and regional news. So, yeah, that's all I can say on it for now because I haven't really, you know, delved back into it. I'm getting back into it in October. But I did start looking at misinformation in agriculture. What, what did you, like, obviously, uh, I think that's a very common occurrence that PhDs are very much a flowing road and it. Uh, we don't necessarily start on the same one because I pulled out my one when we started TEM because it was just too much, too much work. People don't realize how much work it is because you think you can do it with a job. Eh, I don't think you really can. Not, no. not if you want to no. do it. So, so not, if you have, not, not if you want to have a life as well. No, geez, oh, no. And I enjoy my life. The uh, misinformation, tell us about it. Is there, yeah. mis- is there yeah. misinformation? Well, I guess uh, I don't want to get sort of too academic because, you know, when you do a PhD, you have to sort of explain every sort of little aspect. And at the time I was looking at misinformation in agriculture in the Australian news and social media and really had to like delve into what misinformation is. And basically it's sort of a catch-all term that covers disinformation, which is like the stuff that's done on purpose that's, you know, malicious. And um, misinformation also, you know, covers the accidental like if you know the resharing of wrong information maybe it's old information just misunderstood information um and so I was yeah looking at that how it plays out in in agriculture and I can't say that I've you know come to some grand conclusion but I certainly looked at a lot of the literature when it comes to journalism and agriculture and the first thing to say is there's not a lot I don't know if that surprised you like as in as a kind of news category or something to study agriculture I don't understand why but it's not a sexy topic people don't seem to write about it or love it it's not overly studied so I was drawing on a lot of um US um literature to to find out more about it 
Um, and even then, there wasn't a lot. But most of the comments about how agriculture is written about in the news was how it's kind of, you know, folk, folksy and cute stories, um, or you're kind of doom and gloom, you know, it's drought, it's awful, farmers are suffering stories. And so you don't get to hear those sort of more nuanced stories or interesting stories um, that, you know, the stuff that I love to read, which is just, you know, how markets are going, innovations, um, just interesting people and what they're doing. Um, but that doesn't make the mainstream of, of news very often. You have to kind of look a bit further. So that was you know, an, an interesting element um, of looking at it. And when, so I was sort of trying to overlay, you know, misinformation and and also defining misconception as well as being different to misinformation. And where I landed, and this is more of a sort of personal opinion rather than some kind of grand academic finding, it's not, it's a personal opinion from reading stuff, was that, you know, I think, a lot of the sort of misinformation that happens in ag, in an Australian context anyway, kind of generally grows or comes from misconceptions. So not this kind of like nasty, let's control the narrative stuff, which does occasionally happen. You know, there are some groups that are, you know, have really strong feelings, say about, you know, animals and agriculture and, and certainly do try and frame things differently. But that's a small thing and it doesn't really get often into the mainstream. When it does, I reckon it's a whole lot of misconceptions that just fuel it. Is that that misinformation aspect, is that part of why, because you mentioned with regard to that urban-rural divide being a real thing, do you think that's contributing to the, to that divide? You know, and, and now, now more so that, you know, you don't have a lot of, like a couple of generations ago, you, you, you know, you, people in the city used to know farmers through their family and stuff, but, you know, the number of farms have shrunk obviously over the years um, and, and that connection is not there anymore so that there's a space now for misinformation because people don't know someone directly? Yeah, I, I think that's huge. I mean, I can relate because I I grew up in the, the city. I grew up in Western Sydney and didn't really have much connection to farming. I mean, we weren't far from farms, but, um, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. I didn't know anyone personally that was involved in agriculture didn't think about it too much, um, probably thought that ag as a career, like it was something that I would never have chosen or thought of, um, probably thought farming was a little bit sort of, I don't know, like not not professional or intelligent enough, like for a career, which is completely ridiculous, um, a thought. But Does that, it, Is that a misconception? Yeah, yeah. I guess you just think farming's just with your hands only um, and, you know, that's part of it, but it, it's certainly not all of it. And it just wasn't it wasn't offered to us as well in terms of the jobs that we might be be looking at, which I think is such a bad thing for like I look at so many of the kids and particularly, you know, just to make a whole sweeping gender stereotype here, but like a lot of boys, you know, when I where I grew up, you know, there are some boys I think who really struggled kind of, you know, they, they weren't academic and they really struggled. I think, God, they would be great in ag, like just using their hands. I mean, they probably all became tradies and are doing really well now anyway, so that's good. But, you know, like farming and ag would have been a great op option for them. And, of course, the, the girls that are interested in that too. Again, back then girls weren't even thought of as being interested in any kind of trades or hands-on farming stuff either. So, um, but, yeah, that going back to that divide, um, 
it, it definitely is real. Like you just don't have that that knowledge that you do when you, you know, are on a farm. So I've been on a farm for 10 years now and I, you know, obviously have a much greater knowledge about how food's grown and all that sort of stuff that I just never had before. And it's a shame that we we have this this divide because most people are really, I think, you know, like farmers and are, and are happy, but they just don't don't know um, the amount of friends I've had that come to our farm and we're on a mixed cropping um, and um, sheep cattle farm um, in southwest Victoria, the Western District, um, and they'll they'll say to me, "Oh gosh, the sheep are just like grazing." And I'm like, yeah, what, what did you think they were doing? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I just, you know, they thought they, were, they might be involved in some sort of high intensive, you know, like in a shed being force fed or something. I'm like, no, they're just, they're just wandering around in the paddocks. It's a shock every time. Yeah. It's, it's curious. But going back to that misinformation, uh, disinformation, misconception, do you think it's a lot of, like disinformation is probably the rarest I would have thought the anecdotally, I would think. But do you think it's like misconceptions being used in order to misinform? Like there's a kind of like almost like a a chained link. In agriculture, you mean? Well, and against I guess uh, opponents to agriculture. Using... If there's an if there's an agenda, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that could definitely be be part of it. Um it's it's a tricky one to answer, so I'll answer it generally first. So it's hard to say if, if we're just talking about all kinds of misinformation. There's disinformation that can happen, um, you know, say like, you know, Russians' interference in the US 2016 elections, you know, that was a very uh, campaign influenced heavily by disinformation and then fueled by, you know, innocent people resharing and things. And we see we saw that a lot in COVID as well, um, people with agendas. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I think the it, it does play on on, on mis- misconceptions. So the stuff that has has an, ag- an agenda and look, there's nothing wrong with having an agenda per se. I suppose we've we've all got an agenda. Like when you put your your podcast and your um your articles out, you have a somewhat of an agenda of trying to, you know, put yourselves out there as um thought leaders in in markets, right? Oh, um, um, oh, um, oh, um, my agenda, my agenda is to keep Annie Julie happy. That's that's um, the only real goal. Uh, but no, I absolutely detest that that phrase, thought leadership. Thought leader, yeah. Thought leader. Oh. But you are thought leaders. Um, Lack of thought leaders. <laughs> <laughs> that may well be. But, but you know, I, I guess I, I'm trying to be open to the kind of, you know, but, yeah, when it's, what annoys me is, like, there's nothing wrong with having a an agenda as such of, like, oh, I'd like to see this better or, or improve this. But when the information you're use, using is inaccurate or wrong, then that's not okay, you know. Mm. Like, I, I trust that your advice and your uh, analysis of the market is correct, that's the sort of you know thing, and and when it's when it's not and it gets twisted, then that's very problematic. Um, there was a case that I, I suppose was a really kind of bizarre one, um, and it was um, maybe last year or twenty twenty. It was either twenty two or twenty one, um, where there and you might remember it. 
because it was a Victorian case. There was just floating around on social media. Um, there was pictures of uh, the Premier Daniel Andrews with like devil horns and they were saying that um, he was banning growing your own food. And, look, it sort of was just, you know, floating around in the kind of, you know. QAnon. Uh, yeah, yeah, QAnon. It was the QAnon people floating around in QAnon. That's what Matt, Matt started that. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a Ballarat QAnon chapter. Well, Matt, you did very well because then Joe oh, yeah. Rogan, who's got a podcast with probably nearly as many followers as, as this one, 11 million or so, <laughs> um, so it just went sort of boom. Joe Rogan was sort of talking about it while reading about it and then he goes, oh, I don't know if that's actually true, actually. Um, but it, it 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 went so big that Agriculture Victoria had to sort of come out and go, no, 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 that's not the case. Um, we're not banning growing your own food. This is just an update to some, like, biosecurity laws. It doesn't influence growing tomatoes in your own backyard. But it played into this conspiracy theory that was already established in the US about um, the government trying to control food and, and they, you know, they were, they, those conspiracy theories that the government was burning crops and trying to take away control over food. So it was like this kind of bizarre um, collision of forces where, it, you know, one weird conspiracy theory tapped into another and, of course, Daniel Andrews isn't liked very much by the QAnon people because, you know, he was seen as the, the lockdown premier. So it was like all these bizarre little things and all it I could be It could thought, be that he's one of these lizard people though as well. Well, so, well, you know, yeah. well Matt, Matt, do you remember I did that Sky News interview on the... Yeah, 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 you got, you got, yeah, yeah. I got hammered. Yeah. Like really? I, did, I, I did Sky News, I was just talking about the, the risks of on global food caused by the Ukrainian war. And it went up, I have to try and find it. It went up on YouTube, like after they did the show, went up on YouTube. And there was like a thousand comments. And I reckon about one of those comments made any sense. Like I'm on the payroll from Bill Gates. This is part of the new world order. He's just, how much money is this guy making from this war? Blah, 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 blah. It was just like, and I was like, imagine all these people that like, I don't know, like a Dan Andrews who's getting these type of comments every day. I was reading through it. I was just, I was kind of laughing. Like there was, there was out of those thousand questions, there was 700 new experts in grain markets that I'd never heard of before. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that though, like this, the rise of social media and then it's, you know, it's everywhere now, of course, but then that's Citi kind of been citizen journalism. That's what I was just going to say, that citizen journalism aspect where you can now get people that get a fairly significant following, right? That don't have any real skill in deciphering what the truth or the data shows, or you know that they've got a particular bias or some crackpot idea, but they get this massive following. Is that is that a you know, I mean you know is that a challenge a real challenge to kind of establish journalism or old school journalism? And and also is it a problem that isn't that what's causing a lot of this misinformation that people are looking at their Facebook and seeing these threads, you know? And I'm um, going down these rabbit holes and being convinced that it's the real when it's rubbish. Yeah, it's such a tricky one, and I feel so conflicted about it because I really like the idea of sort of this egalitarian notion of knowledge, and you know that you you can't just the title journalist doesn't make you someone who holds knowledge or truth. 
um, you know, we all can. And certainly, you know, it's not like you have to, you get a card. I mean, if you belong to a, an agency, I suppose you're saying I subscribe to to this way of 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 dealing with with issues. And, and look, I worked for the ABC for a long time and, and look, I, I still, you know, work casually for them, but I really liked, you know, the ABC's editorial guidelines and would still, you know, uh, you know, uh, abide by them largely because I thought they were pretty good and, and really liked them. And, and, and you just get problems. So like with that one that I said, you know, Joe Rogan, I mean, he, he's a, a celebrity and a presenter, not a journalist. So he's just kind of reading stuff live on air. He's not too concerned about sort of fact-checking uh, before he talks about it. Um, whereas in traditional journalism, you know, if you did that, you'd be in big trouble if you were talking on live on air and then you're like, oh, actually that might not be true, uh, <laughs> you know, but it kind of doesn't matter because, you know, he's probably sitting there going, well, I'm not a journalist. I'm just doing my show and this is my show and it's it's a success, right? And it's, a, with- well, it's, a, it's a talk show. It's not, it, what, what's the blurring the line between I'm talking about current events as a talk show with guests on, but it's not journalism or it's is it journalism, you know, like a, a Warwick Long kind of talk show on the country hour. You know? Warwick Long would never make such a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, he wouldn't because he's a, he's a journalist. But, hey, there's plenty of talkback shows um, on other um, commercial outlets with hosts who have long been around that have got a f- quite a few things wrong in the past and it doesn't seem to affect their career trajectory or, or salaries at all. But social media is is a new thing and the algorithms and, you know, that, that plays to our emotions and, you know, if you want something to do well on Twitter, make people angry, you know, make people <laughs> feel things. And off it goes, and and that's that's the new way, and and we're also in this sort of you know they call it the post truth era, which was sort of defined by 2016 and the Trump elections that it really doesn't matter if what you know if it's a fact if it's true it's it's really how you feel about it or your opinion about it, which is totally not from the school of journalism that I was, which was all about objectivity and like I was afraid to have an opinion for so long and and now that I'm no longer sort of, you know, employed as a journalist by an outlet, I feel like I can have an opinion, which is great, but I'm still always remain really measured just because I'm not an expert on everything. Like there's lots of things I don't know, so I'm not going to have a strongly held opinions about things that I really haven't researched well, but that doesn't stop many people. Just, just do your research. That's that's the one I love. Do your research. Go on Telegram. <laughs> yeah, do your research is a bit of a QAnon sl- um, slogan now, isn't it? Like, do your research. Go on. Don't. I, I heard it on Telegram. I was like, oh, it must be right if you heard it on some bloke in his basement on Telegram. The other one I thought was really interesting in the last week was I was looking at those uh, fires in Maui, which are basically just a horrible incident. But the number of conspiracies that have come out of that are crazy. Like there was a blue bin that, and two blue bins or something that never went on fire. So there's something with the color blue. <laughs> and so the lasers aren't hitting things that are blue, apparently. Couldn't just be that the wind <laughs> changed before it hit those two blue things. But it just goes to show that there's a lot of crazy people out there, <clears throat> typically in America. But um, we're not really supposed to say that, but I'm banned from America anyway, so it's irrelevant. Um, <clears throat> so in, in that sort of, I, I was just thinking about that misinformation again as like a timeline of misinformation, yeah? So you have information on one side, yeah? 
then it technically kind of it could flow to like misconceptions of that information, then misinformation using those misconceptions, and then disinformation is the sort of the opposite end of information. Yeah, that's a good way of conceptualizing it. Gosh, you should write a PhD on it. <laughs> oh, that. So, so, so what I want to know, right? As an expert in media, an expert in communications, um, where do we sit? Where does AgWatchers sit on that on that sort of uh, roadmap of information to disinformation? Like, dis- info, info, where does infotainment sit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, the world's changed, right? Because you're not technically part of a organization that you know you're you're not without fear or favor. Like you know, you're not a investigative journalist, or you're not a I don't know, you're not with a masthead that is is known for being independent. So you can't claim that. But I think that your information is trusted. I haven't spotted anything wrong with it yet. But look, I. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of people say that we're wrong on our viewpoints on Blackwood and Haggis and Crocs, <laughs> but we are trying our best to sort of, not to educate people, but to, um, yeah, misinform people. Well, there are there are a lot of there are a lot of misinformed people out there that don't like Crocs and Haggis and Blackwood. I, I, I would not, I would not name people because I don't think that's, I would not want to name my sources. <laughs> but there's a lot of people in the early days who made derogatory comments about black pudding, derogatory comments about Crocs, and are now the owners of both. <laughs> and I will not say anything about people like Martin Murray, who may or may not have uh, fallen into his views. And, and Nigel Hart. Hmm? Constantly made fun of Crocs, but now he's a proud owner of a pair. I don't think I've ever tried haggis, so I can't judge that. I've tried black pudding. And I've made my feelings known about Crocs earlier. So you've got a new business. Yes, I do. Um, I've sort of of quit the nine-to-five kind of job. Not that I was working full-time because I sort of, you know, fill my days with a mixture of farming you know, being a mum of two young boys and um, whatever jobs I've sort of been doing on the side. But I've, I've started a business, Rural Podcasting Co, and it's sort of got two arms to it. One is the podcast coaching arm. So taking, you know, r- really for small businesses, like if you um, want to make a podcast and you don't know where to start, I can coach you from sort of idea to launching your first episodes in the first three months or if you've kind of got a podcast and you want to fix it up a bit, I can help you there too. Um, and the other one is an agency service. So, you know, the full production thing probably suited to more bigger businesses. And I think it comes as a surprise to people, just the time that it takes with podcasting that it, you know, to, to get it done professionally, it costs a bit of money just because of the time that it takes. Um but that's, yeah, so that's what I'm doing, which I'm really excited about. And I'm starting with my first clients uh, in a couple of weeks. Is that um, in that, particularly in that corporate space, I mean, we we listen to a few ourselves and we find that there seems to be, like, it's not it's not just a matter of throwing money at stuff, is it? Like you can't, you know, you see some corporates have got lots of money and they probably spend a lot on it, but it doesn't necessarily translate to an interesting podcast, right? And is that like are you saying to you, there are some key skills or key ways that you can make it work? 
Oh, definitely. And, you know, podcasts can be done in lots of different ways. So, you know, if you're just wanting a straight sort of interview type podcast, then, you know, knowing your niche is really important um, and knowing what your topic is and and not being afraid of niching it down. Because, you know, yes, there are a whole lot of podcasts out there and some people think, oh, the market's too saturated. There's no point in doing one. That's not true. Um, you know, yes, there are a lot of podcasts, but you can find your niche where you're that kind of expert or you can really get, um, you know, people that are people that are worthwhile on your on your podcast with that kind of weird angle um you know you can do it that way in terms of big organizations you know i've heard quite a few podcasts that are good and i've heard some that are just average and it's because they just kind of don't don't stick to some of the basic podcasting rules like releasing on a certain date regularly or um kind of having having a host that uh, knows knows what they're talking about or is really engaged in it. Like they might have beautiful presentation, um, but they might not uh, actually know the subject. Or um, yeah, it's there, there can be lots of lots of reasons why it's it's not working. But um, by doing it, by by doing something different as well, don't be afraid to do something different. I mean, you guys are a perfect example. You're sort of a very casual podcast, and I've sort of I'll I'll say that you're the only podcast that I would ever allow to not be edited. Like uh, to me, that's like I, I say to people, don't, <laughs> and I don't mean this to you both, but don't insult your listener by leaving in all the boring bits. You know. Um, but there's no, there's no boring bits in our <laughs> podcast. That's the only reason we don't edit. Uh, well, we have to edit this one for I'm on it. But you're you no, but the, like it's you guys are make, make it seem like you're hanging out with friends. It's all of those little nice moments where I don't know you click the wrong button or you or something you drop something and you know it's but sort I, of the unprofessionalism that works. But I, but I think from from my point of view, like when I listen to a podcast, I quite like. I listen. I don't listen to that many agriculture ones. Every now and then, I listen to a lot of sports ones and comedy ones. And I think you can notice it when it's edited because you can have a conversation and it suddenly just goes off on a bit of a tangent. Like ours goes off a tangent all the time, but it just stops, like dead stops. Whereas I think just having like the one hour long form conversation, like A, we don't have any budget, so we don't have the time for editing um, other than putting a bit of music on the start of it. Mm. And that, that that's really it. But going back to your rules, like we just, we basically, we don't have a, a sort of a plan for release dates. So we just basically do the podcast. Then an hour later, we release it generally. Oh, and what was the other one? Know what you're talking about? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be bro- engaging, I guess. Broken that rule. So that's two, <laughs> two of two. You don't have to know everything, but it's good just to be able to understand the context that you're in. Did you ever, there was one podcast I used to listen to quite a bit in the early days and I've kind of got fallen off the wagon on it, but it was Annabelle Crabb and Lee Sales used to do a podcast and they're obviously both professional journalists in their own right, but the, the early part of their podcast, it was very unprofessionally put together. Um, it was, I think it was called something 10, three or something. Chat 10 or? looks three. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Chat 10 that looks three. Um, and, and the early ones of it, 
like there was issues with the sound recording. They sounded like sometimes they were in a broom cupboard. There was another one time I remember where someone kind of interrupted. I think they still did edit it anyway. There was some editing there. It wasn't quite as unprofessional as ours. But I, I felt that was a very that was an excellent podcast. Yeah, um, and and that can work. So it's um, there are plenty of successful sort of indie podcasts where yeah, you don't have the the best recording equipment. It is it isn't professional, but it all depends on who you are and what you're trying to achieve. So if you're a big major company, you probably want to have a professional. If if your thing is being professional, then you you you're going to want a nice produced professional podcast. But if you're an indie podcaster, you can have it. It doesn't have to be perfect. And if that's the thing that's holding you back is thinking you've got to have some great production, then, you know, don't worry about it. So the podcast I do, Ducks on the Pond, you know, it's it's for rural, rural women by rural women. So our internet connection's often a, a bit dodgy. We don't always sound perfect. I try and edit out the bits where it corrupts or, you know, that, that sound really bad. A lot of us have young children so sometimes you hear a kid in the background or the conversation has to stop to address a child and then on we go but to me I like that because it's just that's our it's a reflection of our that's life it, yeah. how long does it take to edit a podcast on average like oh. a one-hour podcast would take like three hours to edit yeah it would a few it probably would um so I mean if you're a professional <sighs> editor, you're really you, you're fast at it so if, if that's what you do day in day out a couple of hours say to put the music on clean it up if it's just a straight interview, but if you want to, um, if you've got multiple interviews and you've got sort of that soundscape that you're putting through it, you know, if you, I love listening to true crime and some of those are beautifully produced where you've got different mm. sort of sounds and things um, or, or some of those kind of fiction podcasts as well, where it's all about the the audio, they take a, you know, a lot longer yeah. and professional audio people working on those and they sound amazing you know that's that that's you know the high level one nothing it doesn't have to be like that it's yeah it's all about what you choose I mean for my podcast I often have two sometimes three people on and I don't interview them at the same time so I have to edit and then I weave the conversation between Jackie and I so Jackie and I chat in between it and then I have to sort of weave that in around the conversations we've had earlier which takes time and it's like I don't every time I'm doing I'm like why am I doing this to myself but I love the finished product and I love that it's just a little bit different for me it's like I want you to sound like you're hanging out with your friends which is Jackie and I and we have unscripted conversations that I do edit lightly back um, edit the boring bits out and then stick in between the the interview. How hard is it to like, and is it right to try and like monetize? Like obviously, corporates that are doing it as a corporate thing where they're trying to promote is a different story. They're happy to spend money and not necessarily get a return. But what about people that are trying to have a podcast that they think, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, this is gonna be my job being a podcaster. Do you know what I mean? Is that luck? Is that is that is that you know, is that a goal people should be aspiring towards? And is it achievable really for the average punter wanting to do a podcast as a kind of not not necessarily a professional to be able to monetize it? I don't want to crush anyone's dreams. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It's hard to make money from podcasting, but you just have to be strategic about it. So you can, you know, so my Ducks on the Pond podcast is now certainly pays for itself. And and then a, a little bit more, and I'm just using that income. We just built a new website, so I've used that to pay for someone to make me a nice website. And 
Um, but no, I'm not living off that money that I I do. It would be very stressful life of poverty. <laughs> well, I can claim that I have um, you know, monetized it. And look, you can monetize it through through ads. If you get heaps of people listening to it, then great. You know, you can get ads if you sign up to like Buzzsprout, which is the a podcast hosting platform. They'll put ads on it. But you got to really think about: Do you want that? Because then you've got ads in your podcast. And yeah. when you're starting a podcast, you don't want to turn people off, especially if the ads have nothing to do with what you're talking about. I don't have ads in my podcast. Um, I now have sponsorship. So we've built up quite a, an, an audience of, of, you know, largely rural women in Australia and New Zealand. So people sponsor an episode and and that's you only hear from the, the episode sponsor at the end. And, and we just sort of give them a shout out at the start. And, th- and that's, you know, works really well. It, it works with the niche and, and allows a bit of money. You know, or you could, you can do collaborations with people as well, where people might pay to come onto your podcast again establish an audience so that's another way of doing it um or it can just be a marketing funnel really which is um when you've already got another business and your podcast is just a way to put yourself out there as i'm not going to say it a thought wanker well you can you can i was going to say we don't do any ads at all on our uh, podcast, but you nah. may notice you may notice these uh, Marino Polo shirts that we wear. Uh, from the Marino Polo, we don't get paid for this, by the way. No, we just no, get uh, we, we get given free polo shirts. That's, how many kind? And this is a supporting Australian farmers. Exactly, Marino wool polo, soft, wool, sustainable, soft, smooth. You know, and uh, so that's the ad over. So that's why people don't put ads on our page because we're terrible at them. Well, we we can mention our other unofficial sponsor, Pacton Park. They get they get a run almost every uh, six cents because we every, mention black black pudding every time, nearly. And we, keep, we do need to get. We keep saying we'll get Jim back on the podcast. Yeah, we will. We'll get um, him. But I, like I'm, I'm sort of a big like our podcast costs two hundred a year to run. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just for the hosting for the Podbean or whatever it's called. And that's it. So I sort of see that we don't really need to make any income for it, as long as we're having fun doing it. Because we started ours during COVID, and mm. that was the purpose, just to have a bit of banter, just to chat, talk to interesting people. And uh, But I just, I'm, I'm kind of against that sort of view of paying to come on. Mm. Like, we've had a whole bunch of people. We had PR companies come to us in the past saying, oh, we'll pay you $1,000 to get the CEO of our company on. And then we've been like, Nah, we're all right. Then come on if they want, as long as it's got something interesting to say, but we're not charged. And the PR companies are like, oh, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> and like, they're like, right. No, no but that's because that's that's no, they're taking they get, a they, commission, get a, so. they get a commission of half, yeah. the, uh, half the cost. They're probably charging two grand to the – But and, and I think it, it, you can tell when <clears> – <throat> when somebody's on a podcast and they're paid to be on, they, there's a bit of a deferentialness to the guest. And, mm. I, and I think we probably couldn't say the same sort of stuff that we might say if the guest is just there volunteering the time. 
true. Yeah, exactly. And these are the, like the considerations you you have to think of. Like I'm not going to say there's a right or a wrong way. It depends on how you want to run your podcast. Um, I love having editorial control. So, you know, I, I do some paid collaborations, but most of it, like my, each season, you know, no one pays to come on. I just invite people on or people contact me and, and I say, oh, yep, you sound great. That's a great um, thing to chat about. And they come on and then occasionally we do a, a collaboration um, and I say that that's a, a paid one. Um, and, and I run it the same way. And I was really nervous doing the first couple of ones because I thought, oh, I wonder if this is going to work. Are people not going to listen? But 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 it has and it um, people are, are listening just the same as they do the other ones. So that's great. And, again, it it's money that just goes back into the podcast which is really but that's after that's after you've established a bit of a listenership already right you've got people there you've you've engaged they're they're kind of hooked in and so then they're happy to you know listen to the odd one here and there that's a that's you know collaboration yeah unless you're already a celebrity don't expect to be making money from a podcast straight up it you know you just you have to just be creative about the relationships you have and and look you might end up making a podcast and getting sponsored by a big company you know I know um there are plenty of podcasts particularly in ag who are sponsored by an ag company um because they it's you know a podcast about sheep genetics for example and so you might get a a really aligned sponsor so you can start thinking about that before you start the podcast or even having conversations with people if you've got connections but Oh, look, if you really want to make a podcast, just start making a podcast. That's well, we're know. just we're just waiting. We've got Patton Park on board, so they gave us a whole bunch of free haggis and black pudding pies. <laughs> that that was after that was after we were already promoting the product. That's correct. I think, yeah, yeah, we we kind and, of started promoting, and, it and we, we got a free tour of their uh, facility yeah. factory. Yeah, but so we're just waiting for Crocs to eventually mm. board. We're just mm. we're just quietly in the background just. <laughs> throwing out enough information that one day they'll supply us with some fur-lined crocs. I love it. So you're, you're, you're getting creative about your, your form of payment, you know, um, because like podcasting does open doors. I feel like I'm a big salesperson now, but it, it just, it opens doors in, in you know, don't think you're going to suddenly quit your job and, and be raking in a you know, hundred grand a year on podcasting. It's more about. No, I'm, uh, not, I'm not taking a pay cut from this podcast. <laughs> It's more about, you know, like you, you get to network with people, you meet people through your podcast and and those might lead to to other opportunities. You you get asked to speak at events and again mm-hmm. you paid sometimes. There are just other opportunities that come from podcasts. And again, for you guys, it's it's about that marketing funnel. And I know you don't like to think it like that. It's just a bit ah. of but there is a reason why you do it and you can't deny it. You know, it's um. Just do it for the to. What did we say, Matt? To inform, educate, and entertain. There's a, there's a tagline for you. <laughs> That's not wanky at all. That's <laughs> not. It doesn't really suit your podcast, really. No. To be honest, I wouldn't go ag watches. Inform, uh, educate, entertain. You forgot. You forgot. You forgot. Sit there. That is something that fits you more often. The other three sound like some government pillars. You know. Shitster sounds very accurate. <laughs> what is what is how do you define like if you go back to our podcast, yeah, like we define success by like we after every podcast we phone each other and say, that was a good podcast. And that's how we define this success, whether we enjoyed it, whether we learned something, and then hopefully the people listening that 
how many people is it now? Five people? Yeah, uh, Annie Jolie, my Dave, sister, Tessa, your mum. Um, I can't remember the other two. Yeah, can't my mum will one. listen to this, but I'll have to wait till I'm there in person in Sydney so I can press the button for her, but she'll listen, yeah. So, so that's five or six people. So all we were hoping for those five or six people who listen to podcasts learn something from it. And, and that, that's so that's a success metric, yeah. But how do you judge, like, and then we've got like other podcasts, like I guess Palms Advice, what's that other one? Humans of Agriculture. Yeah. They're probably they're, they're trying to commercialize it and become, you know, a commercial entity. So their success metric is cash in the in the bank. What is the success metric for say? Let's say you pick just pick a random like a nutrient elders landmark. Cargo or whoever else. What is the success metrics for like a corporate type of podcast? Yeah, that's a great question because it's really hard. Um, and if you're in the marketing team and you're the one who, whose job it is to define that success metric, so obviously number of listens, that's just a number of downloads. You can say, look, people are listening to this. Um, it, it's it's hard to define because if if you've got a a podcast say you're yeah a, a big corporate a nutrient or something you, you you're you're going okay what what's it about you're not going to make a podcast about you know <laughs> great chemicals we're selling you know like that would that would not be uh, you'd be as, surprised <laughs> <laughs> maybe i need to google this <laughs> um i don't know what their podcast is if they have one um but if they're interested in one, they should talk to me. Um, but that, but that, that is a trap for a big, like, you don't want to look like you're obviously just trying to promote what your business is, right? You don't want to, you don't want to be selling your product so obviously on a corporate. No, again, I, I have to get a better word for it, but, but it's what you're trying to do. You're trying to say that our brand is the one that knows about whatever it is and so you want to align it directly to what you sell but it'll be about that broader area if it's about agriculture or you know innovation is a great one so you can sort of say you know we're at the forefront we're going to talk about the future of ag and and there's actually an american podcast called the future of ag but you know we're going to talk about uh something aligned with what what it is that you do but removed enough that it doesn't sound like you're selling product and again in your podcast you don't sit there you know making obvious um you know sales kind of pitches and and if you use this product it'll work yeah don't do that it's so again it's hard to like say how do we measure it because yeah listens okay great people are listening to it um but then you know if you find that you're then getting invited to speak or people from your company are getting invited to speak broader it's really hard to say from a direct sales like this podcast has now resulted in x many sales i reckon that's a really tricky one that's that's, that's probably the same if you newspaper articles or sponsoring conferences it's hard to actually link up what you spend in sponsorship versus what you what you actually gain from it. Like I did, I used to do field days with AWB and a few other grain companies, and I was always I was never convinced that it was worth the money for doing it, other than being seen to be there. It's funny, I like field days are great, and they've got it stitched up so well that all of your big corporates will come and sponsor them. It's it's like not even questioned, and I'm glad they do. I love field days, so I hope that they keep doing them. But, you know, it, some, some haven't quite cottoned on to podcasts can be just as effective. You know, if you've got 200 people listening to a podcast, you know, that's not huge numbers when you compare it to like 
who's listening to, you know, RN around the country um, in the mornings. But it's, you know, people come to field days and talk to 50 people in a room. If you're there sitting talking to someone for 40 minutes or an hour, 200 people in a car, a captive audience listening, like that's nearly as good as being there in person. I think being there in person is, you know, top notch, but podcast is just below that. You know, and people are happy to spend for a big ad in a newspaper. And yes, more people will see it. But podcasting is so good because you you really get a long time with that person. So I don't know. I, I think sometimes, um, yeah, some of the corporates haven't realised yet why podcasting is so good. This yeah. Is, I feel like I'm selling and I'm not used to this. You know, it's good. It's good. It's good for the guests too, though, as well. Particularly if they're a person that does sometimes get into the mainstream media, but often that's as you know, is is just becomes a soundbite. You'll be six minutes. You'll be, yeah, you'll be interviewed for 10 minutes, but then, you know, 20 seconds makes it in. And yeah. that's true of a lot of mainstream media because of the time constraints. So on the on the podcast, you can... Matt, you Matt, know, Matt's still annoyed because he always gets cut from nine news. <laughs> I talk to no, no, seven news is one that seven, cuts me a lot. Because yeah. um, like, they're basically they're sort of saying, oh, you didn't really say anything controversial enough because we thought <laughs> we're going to run out with sheep or we're going to run out with grain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. Sorry, um, the the notion of like how sh- how long or shorter a soundbite or, or grabs we used to call them, you know, is has has gotten shorter. Like in in my time in in media when I started in radio, you used to be able to have twenty seconds of of someone in a news radio story, and then that was reduced, I don't know, probably five or so years ago to just ten seconds. Now, you know, you just don't have as much time, even. Yeah, to to get your point across, so you have what, to really talk in these absolute direct statements all the time. What you were saying though about the you know if you're presenting to people in person for an hour or so, that's probably in your view a bit a level maybe above a podcast. But I was just wondering if you actually have and like if you're doing one podcast and they've only listened to the one, fair enough. But if you then have a bit of a listenership there that listen, you know, not not to every podcast, but to you know frequently enough. Do you think then, though, that that helps to develop the rapport with the audience and as well that, that then that becomes maybe even better than just going to one-off presentation at a field day? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you're the presenters and you're developing that relationship with your audience and growing it, then, yeah, that's definitely better. I mean, you know, your your audience is always going to, it's, it's going to be the same people probably like as in you you build it over time but you're not reach and you, and you are gradually reaching new people but perhaps still going to those field days you'll get yourself in front of you know 200 new new years in one go in a particular district so they play the they play different roles i suppose i was talking more of, of about going on a podcast and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's it's almost as good as standing in front of people and, and talking to them and I guess because when you're at an event people can come up to you and you, you can actually talk to people in person as well and people can meet you and it's the most interactive you can get but podcast it feels like you know I mean I, I hope for for the person driving along now or cleaning the house is just often what I do when I'm listening to a podcast um, you know it feels like they're part of the conversation and to me that's just like the magic of it you feel like you're part of it and and that, or, or a, eavesdropping. It's like one one person told us with our one. It sounds like they were eavesdropping at, at the pub. So they're standing next to us chatting to someone, just listening in, which was yeah. probably a good analogy. So we didn't. I, have, 
Well, I think they also met us at an event at, yeah, the, yeah. at the same time. I said, guys, you're pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, well, that was, I was going to, when you're saying about success metrics, and because ours is obviously an amateur podcast, there's no, there's no money that we earn from it other than in, payment, no in kind, payment in kind of black pudding and such. Um, but the big, one of the biggest success metrics for us, I reckon, Andrew, when we get, get a, a pint, or you get a, you, someone buys you a drink, but that there was that, we're at that beer conference in WA, remember? And we're just we're randomly standing in the line, just having to chat. Uh, and and this fella behind us recognised Andrew. And then when I turned around, he recognised me, and he was a podcast listener, just a random fella. And I, that was that was the funniest for me. Like when you just get people. And it wasn't. It, out, it wasn't an agricultural show. No, it was a beer. It was a beer event. Like just a, it, you know, <laughs> you weren't expected to you know have anyone know who you I were. Think, just I, think, I think he said something along the said, "Well, you can recognise that beard from while <laughs> ago." <laughs> Uh, but here's a question for you, and this is one you'll probably you will get, I think, when you go into this corporate corporate world of doing podcasts. A lot of companies are quite restrictive on their employees. So how do you choose? Like, say, let's say I'll, I'll yeah, pick yeah. Com- company X, big retailer. Yeah, how do you get around the fact that you might have a host there? Yeah, who's Effectively, they're building the brand for Company X, but they're also building the personal brand of themselves. And what if they leave? Then that podcast is worthless, potentially. Maybe not worthless, but it's it's going to take a long time for them to readjust to the, the a new host. So how do you get around that? If you're the company, you mean? Well, both. Like as a company, what, what how do you how do you convince a company to that it's a good thing? Yeah, I think a lot of companies are becoming more comfortable and I particularly in in America I found so I used to produce Ag Tech So What which is another fantastic podcast that was Sarah, uh, Sarah Nollett yeah Sarah Nollett um, from Tenacious Ventures and you know we'd get a lot of American people on she's um, American so she'd have connections there and they sort of, like seemed a lot more open to it when you were trying to contact Australian, you know, heads of companies, CEOs, or head of brand or whatever it was, you know, it was, it would take forever. They'd feel apprehensive, but Americans just sort of embrace it. And I remember we, we had there, you know, there are guests on there that I remember trying to line up someone. This was an American who, yeah, and it took a while to, to get them. And then they, then they left and you were like, oh, okay, well, good thing we didn't interview them. But, um, but yeah, it, it happens, you know, people leave jobs and, and in the corporate world, you know, a lot of people work in their job for two, three years and then think, okay, I need the promotion. I need to move on to the next thing but I still think if you're a company it's worth putting your CEO or whatever out there if they're confident like if your CEO is terrible at you know speaking on these things and maybe reevaluate but it's still worth it if you if you know that they're going to say that they're going to be good and say good things about your company and they're and so long as your whole brand is not that person which um, a, a good brand and big brands know this already. They they exist well beyond their CEO. Like say Coca Cola, right? It exists well beyond any person. So it doesn't matter if they leave. Um, so long as you're confident that they're going to be go- a good performer and say the right things, and you've spoken to your media and marketing team about probably what what not to say because every company has that. But at the same time, what you can say, I think no one wants a no one wants to get a boring guest on, someone who's so 
corporate and their their corporate team has come on and said, oh, you can't talk about X, Y, and Z and you can't, you know, that they're so scared that they say boring stuff. That would be the first thing we would talk about. <laughs> well, what are the, what are the questions you're going to ask me before? You oh go? yeah, yeah. How often can like, I have all the questions uh, five all, days in advance? And you're like, we don't even know the questions beforehand. So like, why are you going to get an advance on us? Oh, it's such an interesting um, concept. Like the old journalism way was we used to always say, oh, we don't write questions. It was part of our editorial thing. Like we don't provide questions before. But you know, sometimes you just give a general. But you know, obviously, mm. I'm going to you about x y and z yep um but you wouldn't give a list of questions and now i sort of say look i don't write my questions um but if you if it makes you feel more comfortable like for some people it's just they need to feel comfortable i'll say look these are the sorts of questions i'll probably ask but again i don't go from a script but i i I was interviewing talking about doing a podcast on podcasting i'm doing something like that because i'm doing this research paper about rural women podcasters and I am going to release a, a podcast about it as well. And so I've interviewed all these awesome rural women podcasters, um, you know, like Steph Trithui from Motherland and um, Sky Manson and... Oh, Sky, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, I used to work with uh, Damien. Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and I was talking to to one who was saying that she actually, for, from kind of a mental health perspective really is um gives gives the questions and then does the interview and then and is now doing like a follow-up afterwards and these are for I think more interviews where someone's really telling their life story or, or really talking about difficult times in their lives um to to make sure that that they're okay which I thought that's a really good way of approaching it you know coming from media we often just you know it's like a quick thing. All right, you're good to go, right? You're live on air. You tell us, you know, the hardest time in your life and thanks very much. See you later. And there's no follow-up and there's no, yeah. So I, I, I there's no right or wrong, but I, it's it's good to be able to think about it, like why you're approaching something in a, in a certain way. That's a good point, particularly if you're covering off on on topics that are quite emotive or emotional um, to Remember, come back. Cause, yeah. That podcast on with Elena. Mm. with her escape from Ukraine. Yep. That was horrific, really. Mm. Looking back on it, if you listen to that one again, that was a pretty tough one. That was one of those uh, we did on that no, uh, on the live function on Twitter, well, wasn't it? Was that that one you mean? Live one, but we had the second one like a month later. Yeah. The second one was worse. It was all mm. Elena escaping Ukraine. And that was pretty horrific, <laughs> even to do, never mind to listen to. But it was important. Mm. So... So in terms of, like, you, you say about that sort of creating a personal brand, yeah? So what happens with Matt and I? Remember, remember the 1990s when Take That split up? I don't know if that was a thing in Australia, was it? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. yeah, I was pretty young when Take That split up, but I do remember Take That. Um, well, which, Robbie Williams did very well, didn't he? I was going to say, which one of us is going to be Robbie Williams? Like, do we, do we, should, should we have a solo career? We all thought Gary Barlow was the one who's going to make it, didn't we? Um, yeah, so, I, that I, beautiful voice. I couldn't tell you who the other ones are. But, um, oh, look, yeah, I, I suppose for you two, you, are both, you really are the brand, um, both of you. So You could um, be baby space, Matt, because you're kind of a baby. Could, well, you know, we, have to, we, might, we might have to be careful how much black pudding we eat, if, especially someone of my age. Andrew, you're probably more at risk, you know. Well, you're... 
your Scottish lot, background, and I've got a lot longer to go. Uh, but but okay, so we've gone through like corporate setting up podcasts, individual setting up podcasts. What are what are the the criticisms of this podcast? What what could we do to improve it? <laughs> I should have predicted that question. <coughs> oh, that's horrible to critique publicly. Uh, look, I think that your podcast, and I've said it before, works really well because you're two, or at least you're two seemingly good friends that <laughs> it works, that, and you both have that sort of similar sense of humour that really works particularly in an Australian context. And I don't know, maybe it does in Scotland too. Do we have similar sense of humour that just sort of that self-deprecating ribbing each other kind of like you do sound like you're just down at the pub um you know which is great and that's that's the magic of the podcast so don't change that uh look if you wanted to you could edit them to make them slightly shorter like you know uh, I, do, I wouldn't be offended I, 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 I would like I would have edited them yeah I would consider that until you told me how much hard work it was yeah, we look, can't, we get we, quicker at it as time goes on. And we I can't start. We can't start. Time. We can't start editing now. You know that'll be the, the the listeners know that it's all unscripted and unedited. That's part of the charm, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, true. You know, you know true. you've got to. The, the only thing I'd edit is audio quality. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, the one criticism we do get that I think is a valid criticism is the you know, sometimes the audio can be a bit up and down. But I mean, and that's not when you've got say guests that have got connection problems. That's tricky when you're working with people and you, you're working off what quality they've got as well. But for us, for you and I, we probably, you know, we could probably invest in something to get a bit better audio quality. Do you have microphones? I can't see. Are you using a microphone? No, we're using headsets. Headset. Mm. You could have a microphone. That would improve it for sure. Because, mm. um, Matt, you sound better than, than Andrew does. Andrew just updated his headset. <laughs> <laughs> that was my, that's my headset for when I'm travelling. Yeah, because the the problem with headsets is that you know you you sound like a pilot, you know, <laughs> telling uh, when when it, you know when the plane's going to land and what the weather's going to be. But so that could be a small improvement is buy a microphone. You can get a decent one for fifty dollars if you're willing to spend it. Right, let's start for crowdfund. Yep, <laughs> yep. After well, or we could start promoting a microphone company like is it Road? Road. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, they yeah. they've got really great stuff. Yeah. Um, we'll just start and- promoting their product and then wait for a bit and ask if they could you know sponsor us in kind. This might yeah. su- this might surprise you, but in the past, in a previous podcast that we oh, yeah. Yeah. that we used to run, which is now a corporate podcast, we used to have a road podcaster. And the deck, that little fancy little mixing deck or whatever. Mixing deck, that's what it's called, road yeah. podcaster. Yeah, yeah, I've used that before. It's good. It costs eleven hundred dollars. Mm. I had no idea. I had no idea how to work it, so it was really lost on me. Looked pretty cool. Looked like a DJ, but I had no. Yeah, idea. so you can do like a live show. You can like mix, and it actually would suit you both because you can do it as if it's a live show by putting sound in now. So rather than doing it in post production, you can sort of do it live and put sound in. Yeah. through that little podcasting machine. Because yeah. we, we put little music bits in it and little sound bites and stuff. You did you did figure out that you could have a little pre-record and press a button and then it would do a little snippet or something. Yeah. You did that a couple of times. That was you know, about a year into the podcasting. Yeah. We realised how to use it. Yeah, it was too hard. So what about YouTube? Should we, should we, like I see a lot of, should we do them completely live? 
Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you could, actually, if you really wanted to grow your audience, doing it live, given that you don't edit it anyway, could yeah. be quite a new, you know, marketing angle for you. I think you get, you know, you've got it built up a following now, so you get people to come along and, and listen and then you could read the comments, which would be fun. You know, then you could get the criticism live on air, comments and criticisms, which you already do. Uh, or compliments and, and criticisms, you could have that while you're on air. And if you're, you know, tough enough to take it. And, look, I worked at, you know, at the ABC and I still do a few stuff and we get all the text messages in and, gosh, some of them are brutal. Like, you make a mistake, whooshka. You, <laughs> you know, people tell you, you, and you And you know, you know if you, if you mis- mispronounce someone's uh, little town, you get oh, you yeah. get 500 texts coming in how to pronounce it probably. Yeah. But I think it'd be actually quite good. And YouTube is going well for podcasting, even just putting it up on YouTube um, after the fact, even without video. So you could, um, you know, put the video up as well, which would make it even better. But even just to start, you could put your ones already recorded on YouTube, start building that following, and then occasionally do a YouTube uh, live even. Like make it small. I think sometimes and this is advice for anyone, you, you think about all the things you could be doing, right? And you go, oh, my goodness, it becomes too big. But you could just start with a small thing, putting some of your already established episodes on YouTube and then doing, say, okay, let's plan and do a live one in two months, put it out there, see who comes along, see what happens. We did, actually. I was looking at my computer the other day because my Zoom, because we obviously use Zoom for this uh, podcast. That's one of the investments we had. Yeah, when we first started the podcast, we didn't even use Zoom Premium. <laughs> I yeah, so the, pod- when I started. <laughs> the, the podcast po- had to finish in forty minutes order. Right? Forty minutes. Yeah. Sorry, guys, I've got to cut you off. And so we spent. Well, like, technically, that we didn't spend that because that is part of our other business account. Mm. No, that's a good way to start. I just started the same with Ducks on the Pond. I had to wrap it up at forty minutes because it would say, you know, you've got five minutes to go, and the countdown would be on. Uh, and then I invested in my own Zoom. Uh, you know, 200 bucks a year. So, but that's exactly how you should start, right? Take it like a startup. Don't go and buy $3,000 worth of equipment, all of these accounts, editing software. Just start is what I always say. And then as you get go on, you can add those improvements, grow the audience. Otherwise, you never start if you think you've got to release. You know, this is for like your smaller businesses or people who just want to start a podcast. Like just do it is my advice. Yeah, in the in the early days as well, you, you know the the listenership's going to build over time. So the early part, you might be just talking to yourself anyway, and yeah. about two other two other people. Although my and first I, I episode Julie. of Ducks on the Pond is the most listened to episode because people have gone back, and I think, gosh, should I just actually re-upload it and fix the audio? Because <laughs> when I first started it, I was using a, a a new editing program which I love now. But I just wasn't very good at it, and I wasn't—I didn't know how to compress a file, and so the the audio goes up and down, and I'm like, oh. Anyway, I should probably go back and fix some of those earlier ones. But it, the point is, it really doesn't matter if you if what if if it's an entertaining podcast, you've got good guests, you you know, and it's interesting to listen to. People will forgive some of those little you know audio things. I'll see. But they're not forgiving us when they give our criticisms as well. Exactly. Get off and... the, uh, I did look at my hard drive the other day, actually, because I've run out of space and there's almost 200 gigabytes taken up just by video files from Zoom from these podcasts. 
So we could throw them on YouTube. Oh, you've got the actual video on there still. I keep a copy of it. Yeah. We have said to some of the guests at the start that we're not using the video. So I wonder if that, you know, we might make a few people uh, very yeah. un unsatisfied with us. We'll start with this one. <laughs> I've turned my video <laughs> off at the moment, but that's because I've had to plug in. I've got a plug-in camera and I've got my mic also plugged in and then my computer was going to die. So that's why mine's off right now. Um, but, yeah, if you want, I, I would have done my hair, though, if I knew that I was going to be on, on YouTube. It's not, <laughs> I haven't styled it. Yeah. So, have, yeah. you seen, have you seen what we look like? Speak <laughs> <laughs> for yourself, Matt. Uh, the, so I guess that's that's it then. I guess getting voices out there. And to, like you mentioned in the, in the Sixth Sense about lack of diversity in hmm. agricultural voices. Do you think that's improving or and do you think podcasts are a way of doing that? Yeah, I think it's improving and and podcasting is definitely a great way to do that, but we still have got so much further to go in terms of diversity in ag. Um, women are getting a, a greater voice, which is great. Um, but I think still in the higher positions, particularly in the corporate world, it's 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 male dominated still. Um, and then as technology kind of comes into the fray as well, which is great and very exciting for agriculture, but tech is also another traditionally male-dominated world. And I think, look, Ducks on the Pond I created because I just really wanted to do it, um, which was about having a podcast entirely for rural women that just kind of talks about our, our lives. And so we talk about anything and everything from, you know, business to mental health to um, physical health, whatever we want to, but just with that lens that our lives are different, that um, we often have to travel really far. We're trying to work in on-farm work and off-farm work. We've got kids to, to to kind of deal with a lot of us. And it's just because when I listen to other kind of podcasts that are, might be, you know, educational in, in terms of, I don't know, starting a business or or getting fit and healthy or something, I, I go, yeah, but I can't get up at, you know, 5 a.m., go to the gym and then come. I'm like, I've got to get my kids ready to, to go to school. I've got to do this. So then I've got to drive for 50 minutes to go to this workshop and my life is different. So I wanted to create something that reflected that. And so that kind of plays into diversity that um, particularly in the rural field, that our lives are different to city people and it plays out differently. Um, you know, we need to get people of colour, Indigenous voices need to be um, amplified and, you know, that's something we all need to take responsibility for. Um, agriculture is still uh, traditionally very white, I think, you know. Mm. Um, so we need to to do better there um, and, and in being more inclusive. I think I think we're aware of it. That's a that's a start because I reckon 20 or 30 years ago we weren't even really aware of it, but now we are. So I, I can see it, I can see it changing, but yeah, we've got a while to go yet. There we are. Right that's a, it's a good point to end it on. I think so. I think so. It's um it's a... Uh... Yeah, you know, something we can all aspire to, anyone, to try and you know, build inclusivity. Yeah. And, look, I just went home to Western Sydney just a few days ago um, and was wandering around and, and looking at how diverse it is and looking at my old school and because I was get, catching a train, I caught the 
timed it wrong and got like a whole heap of, um, you know, got got the kids coming home train. I was like, <laughs> oh no, and they're all from my school. And I looked around and like, wow, it's a really diverse cohort. A lot of different ethnicities. Um, this is fantastic. And we don't see that as much in country Australia. Um, and, and then I think, gosh, agriculture. And I thought back to, again, what I said at the start and, and my younger days about how agriculture just wasn't on offer at school. We just weren't talked about it. The it as a profession wasn't spoken about. And I think, gosh, we should be tapping into these communities and our city communities, which are more diverse and bringing that diversity to agriculture because we can only benefit from that. So that's what I would love to see, um, getting agriculture to students and people who, who don't really think about it, who can then have this whole other world that open up, opens up to them and then our regional communities can really benefit from it. I agree. We need more Scottish voices as well. <laughs> I, I, actually, we, actually, we don't because that's my niche. That's right. And your new podcast called Haggis and Black Pudding. Haggis on the farm. <laughs> right. Oh, so we'll probably end it there on that good note, a good positive note. We'll make watch- sure if, you, if you're an aspiring podcast or a business out there that wants to get into that space, make sure to get in touch with. And what's the what's the name of the new business? Rural Podcasting Co. Rural Podcasting Co. There we go. Yes. And Thank you for having me. I've had fun. And we'll take your criticisms on board. <laughs> but much like all the other criticisms we get each week, we probably will benefit about them. Uh, oh, we might we might think about investing in better sound gear, maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe for our two hundredth podcast episode, we'll upgrade or something. It's not far away. We're in this is one eighty six. There you go. Right on. All right. Good luck with it. Thanks for Thank coming you. on. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Andrew. It's been fun. All right. See you when you've got nothing on. Ciao for now. <laughs> Bye.